Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Good to, good to see you guys today. Um, after a little bit of technical difficulty here, we're ready to, to roll with another episode here. Dave, how's things going out there? It's going good down here. We are in the heat of summer. We've had a, a couple of rainstorms come through, so that's kind of been nice. But otherwise, we're doing good down here. How are you doing over there? You know, other than the rain, about the same. It's just hot, uh, hot and dry. And yeah. Um, you know, most of the West is on fire, but thankfully not where I'm at. <laughs> but uh, but otherwise, you know, I've got a good cup of coffee here and uh, yeah, just enjoying a day off. So nice. Um, yeah. So we got a couple of cool things maybe in the works for the podcast. We had a had a, a meeting today trying to maybe figure out a way if we can maybe improve our our online presence, I guess, and or improve our reach. Cool things. So yeah. Yeah, so I think that'll be super cool. So caffeinators, keep an eye out for that. Hopefully, um, in the not too distant future. And if you if you have any thoughts or any feedback on anything we start putting out in the next little while, please reach out and let us know what works and what doesn't work. Because Dave and I are uh, <laughs> not the best at that kind of stuff, but uh, but we're working. We're going to be, I think, working with somebody that's going to help us out with that and and kind of do some rebranding and things of that sort. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, me too. So I, I hope I hope yeah. this all works out. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So, um, so keep an eye out for that. But I say, what do you say? We want to just go ahead and jump on in. Anything yeah, we're, else you we're already like forty minutes late. So let's get going. I know. <laughs> let's get going. I like it. Uh, so today we have Nikki Castagna coming by the the Vet Tech Cafe today. Nikki, if you're not familiar with her, she's been in veterinary medicine for a long time. She began working with animals in the early '90s as a kennel assistant in a local practice, and then ultimately graduated from. I'm not sure, Dave. Do you know? Is it Towson or Towson University? I think it's Towson. Towson got it. In in uh, 2001 with a dual bachelor in science and zoology and animal behavior. And like many of us do, took some time off to work full-time in, in veterinary medicine. And she went by an alternate pathway in Maryland and took the VTNE and got her RVT in 2005. Her career has spanned many facets of veterinary medicine, like so many of us, from general practice exotic wildlife, ECC, IM, aquarium medicine, which is super cool. And currently she's the senior laboratory coordinator at Johns Hopkins University. That's actually where my father-in-law did his rheumatology oh. residency. Cool. And she works uh, in oncology, managing a rodent colony and in vivo research for prostate cancer research labs since 2010. And a big part of what we're going to be talking to her about today, she's a founding charter board member and president of the Maryland Veterinary Technician Association. We've talked a lot about state technician boards and issues and such, and that's where kind of where we're going to uh, spend a big focus today. So a lot of hobbies, enjoying traveling, lifelong Orioles fan. Dave, you and I are big baseball fans, so that's yeah. super cool. And uh, she's a 
Fear Free Certified Professional and is working towards uh, becoming a certified dog trainer and behavioral consultant as well. So, Nikki, thank you so much for your patience today and sticking this out with us. Uh, by the way, <laughs> caffeinators, we're trying a completely new platform today. Uh, we had to go to, what is this, Plan D maybe to, maybe to do this D, on yeah. Skype. <laughs> but, uh, but it, hey, we're all here and we hope this is recording. So, uh, Nikki, again, thank you so much for your patience and and working through us with these challenges today. I'm sure by now you need another cup of coffee. I know I do. What can we get you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost done my glass of tea. I'm a, drink, I'm a tea drinker. All right, okay. we've had we've All had right. plenty of tea drinkers on, on yeah, yeah, the yeah. The rest can, of we... it really, really slowed. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> well, uh, if you don't mind, while uh, while I'm getting you a cup of tea here, do you mind just taking us through your, through your kind of career path? I went through some of the highlights, but just kind of talk about what got you into vet med, what kind of started, and some of the stops along the way, all the way up to where you are now. Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it, and. Uh, a fan of your podcast, so this is really cool. <laughs> um, so me, so I uh, probably like a lot of vet techs kind of started out as a very young kid, like the five-year-old wanting to be a veterinarian. I was kind of a weird little kid. I remember this uh, thing that doctors would put into people who had bad hearts called peacemakers. And uh, I thought it would make people live forever and be peaceful. <laughs> so I wanted to invent peacemakers for dogs. <laughs> so they'd live forever. I could put one into, you know, my dog siblings, Trixie and Frisky. <laughs> but that never happened. So that was uh, kind of short-lived. And um, I remember seeing the movie Jaws when I was a young kid for the first time. And, of course, scared to go into the ocean. But here's how innately nerdy I am. I remember just being a young kids sitting on the beach and thinking about why sharks are so scary. I don't even know anything about them. And I decided to start learning about these mysterious animals and made it my mission to get every book I could find in the library on sharks to read. And then I was hooked. And I think from like age eight or nine on, I wanted to be a PhD and study sharks. So I was uh, pretty ambitious as a kid uh, with this being my career goal. And I wanted to start working as soon as I could and I think it was 14 or 15, I got my work permit, applied for a job, uh, got the job as a kennel assistant at the vet clinic where we took our dogs. And uh, I knew I needed as much experience working with animals as I could, so I worked doing that as kennel assistant all through high school, and then uh, started my undergraduate at Towson, and I started working at an ER clinic as a vet assistant. Double majored, <laughs> minored in psych, my sixth year in, <laughs> my advisors and like the faculty are like, you need to stop taking electives. You need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I have no idea now what I want to do for graduate school because my interests had broadened. I was involved in a lot of undergraduate research, mainly with reptiles and amphibians and behavioral ecology and you know, now it's like, I like this, I like this. I'm not quite sure what I want to do. It was actually one of my botany professors. He saw me having a little mini breakdown and he was like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know what I want to do. For 15 <laughs> years, I know what I wanted to do and now I don't. And he was like, then you don't go to graduate school. He's like, it's totally fine. You don't need to go. You can go later. So I'm like, okay. Uh, so I was like, well, I'm already working in vet med. I can make that a full-time job. So I did and I was going to take a year off and started working at another ER practice that was also a GP and specialty practice. I was lucky enough there to work with a boarded criticalist 
at this practice who loved teaching. She was really good at teaching. And man, I fast fell in love with that med. I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I love it. This is what I want to do. And uh, Marilyn had the grandfather clause at the time. Mm-hmm. So I met the requirements with my degree and my hours worked, got the letters of recommendation and sat for the VTNE in 2005 with became an RVT. So I worked there for, you know, a few years, was tech supervisor for a couple years. Then I was diagnosed in 2000. I was 27 years old, whatever year that was, diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So it was kind of like, uh-oh, all right, now I got to make like adult decisions, start thinking about my health. It was like 24-7 ER practice doesn't fall in the purview of being good for my health. So I uh, moved to internal medicine, started working there, loved it. And then I started having like all kinds of other health issues like chronic pain, and back pain, and it was getting progressively worse. And it was really challenging because uh, now it was affecting my job. It was, I was pain all the time and, and really struggling. And it was, it was defeating to be so like gung-ho and, and love this field and all of a sudden I'm having trouble like being able to do what I love to do and I remember going to lunch with a friend of mine she was an undergraduate with me at Towson and both of us worked as assistants at a practice and she worked at Hopkins University and you know I was just having a breakdown I was like my body I don't know what's going on you know at this point like things weren't going very well at work because stemming from like all my health problems and she was one, she was like, I think you'd really love Hopkins. And I'm like, I want to do lab animal research. Like, Ew. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, no, I think you would really like it. You love science. You love medicine. I'm like, that's true. And she's like, you know, here's, I know this lab. I think they're looking for somebody. This is the type of stuff that they do. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not too bad. I'm not doing neurosurgeon stuff on pigs. I can, I can do mice. And then she kind of helped me. And I started working as a research technologist in the prostate cancer lab at Hopkins. I had no, it's a molecular biology lab. I had no molecular biology experience (laughs) at all. I was like, I'm too dumb to work there. But the fools hired me anyway. Been there ever since for 11 11 years now. So you've been continuing to fool them. Yeah, <laughs> I am really good at that. But it's been great. I mean, that they, I was hired because of, you know, being an RBT and having my animal experience to, you know, come in and, and I like, teach as postdocs and the grad students and how to like do, we, I mean, we don't do anything crazy, but, you know, we do a lot of xenograft studies on mice and um, some surgeries. I'm really good at castrating mice and harvesting out <laughs> prostate glands out of mice. And, you know, I love working for Hopkins in university. I'm a, I'm a history nerd too, especially medical history. So it's really cool to be working <laughs> for yeah, such a historical I bet. I bet. medical institution. But it's quite a road. It's been quite a road. But I, I appreciate my entire like career. Like it's really taught me a lot all along the way. Just a quick follow up, and, and you don't have to answer this if you're not comfortable answering this. We spoke with Brandy a few months back, actually, probably quite a few months back, and she kind of hinted that maybe she thought that her her breast cancer was related to her work in veterinary field with your thyroid cancer did you feel like that was the case i, I realize at 27 that's you're you're kind of young for that yeah, so but do you feel like that was part of it i don't know i thought it was coincidental it was like a few years down the line i learned that two other techs who are in my age range we all worked at the same practice together all had thyroid mm. cancer mm. and we all worked like pretty much the same time together. 
So I'm like, oh my God, you know, did all those thyroid shields like have cracks in them? Like, yeah. you know, right. was I really right. good at wearing the protection the way I should have? I mean, seems awful coincidental. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I don't want to get myself too freaked out about that. But, you know, that, right. that definitely right. is, a, it mm. is very, very coincidental. So who knows? Yeah. 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 Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, one of those so, things you'll probably never be able to prove, but yeah. at the right. same time, just like, right. Right. yeah. Right. Mm. Wear mm. your shields, everybody. Wear your shields, everybody. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Wear, wear your PPE. Yes. Yeah. And wear your badges, too. Yes. I see yeah. so many oh, people gosh, taking yeah. x-rays without badges. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyways, so we like to ask this question of, of all our guests now, where do you think the veterinary technician profession is right now? Like, what are we doing right? What are we doing? Not necessarily wrong, but what do we need to fix? And less I guess, right. <laughs> yeah, less right. And with your, your kind of association with technician associations, where do you think we can kind of fix some of these things? I, mean, I realize that's a loaded question. It is. So, you know, like we've come such a long way. I started in vet med in 92. There were no specialties for vet tech side. Yeah. So I'm still like 44 years old and I'm just floored. Like we have 17 specialties. That just amazes me. And you know, it's it's still growing. I think that's incredible. But I think we have a lot of foundational work to do uh, that needs Mm -hmm. to be corrected. And like a lot of that is starting to be worked on currently. So things you know, like unified title and standard scope of practice, reciprocity, like all of that stuff. We need to work on it a lot more harder than we are because we can only build our house so wide, so wide and so high on a weak foundation. And that's a weak foundation that we have as a profession right now. That's an excellent, excellent analogy. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you, again, foundationally with, with some of those things, and we'll talk more about this as we go through, but you know, is there something, is there a, a specific piece of that that you think, like, if we did this, some of the other things would fall into place, or instead of working over here, I feel like we should be working over there. Is there, like, one thing to that that you see, uh, again, not while it's not going to fix everything, but is, like, maybe the biggest first domino to fall? Well, start i mean i think that's I mean, the thing right there's so many there's so many yeah, things right, like right, where do we yeah, start I, that's that's just it that's right? just, that's like, just where it do we yeah start? i mean i guess like there are still some states that don't like recognize credentialed technicians or have a pathway to credential techs in their state like fix that asap like everybody yeah. every state like needs to have credential techs recognize credential right. techs and then start going right. from there like i love the you know, the Model Practice Act and, you know, having a standard scope of mm-hmm. practice and um, yeah. start adopting that and start chipping away at some of these, you know, things like reciprocity. You know, Maryland doesn't have reciprocity in our state. We have an alternative pathway still that folks can go through to get the VTNE, but, you know, Maryland won't allow credential texts from other states have achieved their credentialing through an alternative pathway to become RBT. Oh, that's so, kind of weird. Yeah. That you that you can yeah. you can have an alternative pathway like in right. state but not right. separately like you can't come in with that's that's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. Right. So there's like all these yeah. little things that you know I feel like we need to really start working together more like VAs yeah. and NAFTA. Yeah. Almost like I don't know if you guys know who Alec the not it's the uh, it's like the American legislative exchange council or something like that it's like this nonprofit group that basically drafts all these model legislative 
acts and then pass them out to all the states to, like, to pass off as our own. Like, hmm. We need something like that for vet techs. Like we need to work yeah. together yeah. And, and, yeah. and really start like pounding away and saying, no, let, let's do this. This state, yeah. fix this in this state, fix this. And, and really like kind of grab the bull by the horns, like do it ourselves. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I remember like, I remember so long ago, you know, when, when there weren't that many schools, the, the VTNE wasn't nearly as prevalently used as it is now with online degree programs and such. If I can be a California student taking an online program that is based in Florida or somewhere else, like I should be able, you know, if I can get that license, I should be able to go somewhere else and practice like it, it, it's just that time now right. we should be able to have that transferability and, and reciprocity right. I mean, yeah. how many like vts's do we know who you know got their lvt rbt cvt license via an alternate pathway they are vts's and they wouldn't be able to practice as an rbt here in maryland as a result yeah. it's yeah. just i i can't do that i can't you, practice as yeah, an I was RBT say. in north carolina yeah. You're talking to two of them right here, two, right now. Two VTSs yeah. with alternative path routes. That it's just yeah. kind of crazy that that, it is. that so that's. Yeah. There are a lot of like little things like that that I think you know we can start chipping away and and working together to fix. But mm. you know we need to like come together. I feel like you know a big obstacle is we're so disjointed as a professional community. Some way to start really. I I feel like the the district rec program at NAFTA has has been a huge step to trying to that and they've broken down like the states across the country into various districts and you know there's a NAFTA rep and you know we kind of are grouped together but we really need to work harder to, to unify these and come up with a plan like all the state ETAs and also like the specialty academies and other national associations and, and really just let's let's sit down and have a real discussion together yeah. And, yeah. and start putting together a plan to do this because it, it's it's right. taken too long now yeah and I, yeah. I think about all the the I don't want to say flack or, or negative stuff that's been said about NAFTA but they're the ones that kind of led this charge and you know there there's talk that you know, they don't have as much membership as the rest of the states and all that stuff, but they're doing something about it. They and are, but they're not an island. Like it, it takes Yeah, all of exactly. Us. It takes all of us. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's switch over and start talking about, about vet tech associations because we could talk about all this stuff. Like <laughs> we're, we're easily distracted to go down these rabbit holes, but yeah. let's, let's talk about the, the yeah. Maryland vet tech association. How did you get started with that? Um, why is it important to you kind of go from there? So it started as a Facebook conversation <laughs> in a group. There was a lady named Lindsay who started like a Maryland vet tech group. Uh, you know, so you, join in these groups and, and I think I, I can't remember what conference I attended and I sat in on discussion about things that that tech association can do and I remember coming back and like posting a question in that group like you know do we have a VTA you know does anybody know and and it kind of balloons from there like no we don't have one someone was like there used to be one everybody's like we really need one in Maryland and I'm like yeah like yeah we do and there was just a lot of back and forth in this thread. And um, Lindsay and I kind of took it like to Messenger because we were both like, well, let's let's look into it. So like 
she and I just started messaging back and forth and then emailing and we're like, all right, well, I'm serious. Are you serious? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, all right, so <laughs> let's start seeing. <laughs> and this was 2013. Like I sit here now, I don't know how we did it. I mean, it, there was no good information anywhere. There's no recipe book on how to do this. I remember reaching out to NAFTA. I was given like a zipped file of like tons of documents, but they were all on like, leadership and best practice and like uplifting quotes and you know all this other stuff but not a single thing in there on how to actually you know create a tech association like who do I go to what do I need to do you know so and I reached out we reached out to the Maryland Veterinary Medical Association I'm like hey you know we're RBTs we're looking to form this I think it was the executive director she like sent me to this vet who was retired and was a previous NVMA president so I reached out to him we had like this two-hour conversation he was great it was like a fun conversation with this retired old-timer vet and uh talking about like veterinary history in Maryland and and he said, you know, back whenever it was, the 80s, I think, he had tried to get a VTA formed. So he was like, I was actually trying to get one formed, and they had one for a while, wow. and then it fizzled out. And then he gave me a couple names of the people that used to be part of that association and, and trying to reach out to, like, them, and I didn't get too much information. I think I got, like, old IRS papers sent to me, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Uh, someone was like, I'll help you however I can. And I never heard from her again. And, uh, you know, one thing he said to me, he was like, he, it was kind of like he quote unquote warned me that I probably wasn't going to get assistance from the VMA because they would see the VTA, like a tech association as a financial threat to them. Thinking we take away like mm -hmm. all their yeah. vet tech memberships. Yeah. He was right. Like <laughs> They basically, you know, came back and told us, you know, we're not going to help you. We're not even sure we're going to recognize you. And then they never responded okay. to any emails again. So, like, Lindsay and I were like, well, screw that. Like, we're doing this anyway. <laughs> we don't need them. So, I mean, it was just, it was insane. Like, the amount of time trying to Google and look things up. And I remember spending hours and hours just going to every, like, VTA website I could and seeing if their bylaws were like available and like reading bylaws and just being like, that sounds good. I want that in theirs. And like doing stuff like that. I talked to one of the board members with Rhode Island and like the piece of advice she gave me was like, we need to build in safeguards to protect our finances and choose a treasurer wisely because they had a board member who stole like tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. Oh, wow. Association. Oh, so I'm like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> So it didn't even occur to me there might be, you know, criminal activity. Like. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, right. oh my God. So it was just a very, very long, very slow, like herky-jerky process. Um, every step forward we made, we like had three steps back. But we kept persisting, you know, updating that Facebook group, like, hey, Lindsay and I talked to this person, or Lindsay and I look, found this out. And, and then I think the big break came. I have a friend who's a lawyer. And uh, I had messaged him. I'm like, you know, do you know anybody who would do pro bono work for this? Um, I think we had reached out to like Maryland, like pro bono group, and, and they weren't taking anybody at the time. And he sent me a link. So one of the law schools in Baltimore had a clinical law clinic where law students could provide legal services for nonprofits. So mm -hmm. I contacted them and they were like, yeah. 
like we would love to have you because we were you know we wanted to be a 501c6 organization a nonprofit, which is like you're a trade or professional organization and like, we don't have many of those it's usually all the charitables the c3s so it'd be a really good learning experience for the the law students so that was like a huge breakthrough because now we were getting legal help and yeah. put on the right yeah. path and like the right tasks in the right order and you know didn't cost us any money and legal fees other than you know we had to submit the application you know fees when we submitted to the state sure. and the irs and then we were we got incorporated in maryland the end of 2016 and one of our uh charter board members uh worked for vet practice and she put together this PowerPoint presentation and gave this little like sale pitch to her employers as to, you know, here's your return on investment for like giving us some grant money for the Vet Tech Association and helping us get this started up. And they gave us money. <laughs> you know, I, I certainly can relate to, you know, several of these challenges. We've talked quite a bit about them on the show in the past, but I'm curious to hear from you as, as president of M, uh, Maryland Vet Tech Association. Are there any specific challenges maybe geographically that you face or that you have experienced in Maryland and that you've talked to other states and are like, oh, we don't really have that problem. I'm just curious if there's oh anything gosh. specific to Maryland that uh, that you've come across that's kind of been a hurdle. Our specific challenges are pretty similar to okay. <laughs> everyone else's yeah. challenges. I mean, I, I know I've had like wine sessions like whiny as in whining <laughs> some other leaders. with some wine <laughs> you know you know how do you find members how do you get members to participate i mean there's just there's a lot so like i think our like specifically for us we're still we're still young we're still a young association at five years mm -hmm. um so i know we haven't reached every corner of the state of maryland and not every technician in the state knows that we exist um, so it's a challenge trying to figure out a way to do that. I, I remember when we first were incorporated and we had the funds, we like mailed letters to every single practice in the state of Maryland, like, hey, this just formed, like, come join us. And they probably all got thrown in the trash when they arrived at the clinic. But, you know, I, I think I think Maryland's got well over 600 RBTs in the state. And I mean, our our membership numbers, like, teeter between 100 and 150 like since we we've started which isn't too bad but i'm like maryland's not no. a big state <laughs> you know <laughs> how do we how do we like reach out to all these people so still trying to you know get the word out and let them know we're here and and i think like the another struggle which i don't know like how many other tech associations is just trying to like motivate and and uh educate them on the benefits and the importance of joining your VTA, mm -hmm. you know, any professional organization, but especially your state VTAs, because it, it, I mean, it's pretty like sexy and cool to join NAFTA and, you know, your national associations, I guess they're, you know, equivalent to like walking around with your Saks Fifth Avenue, like shopping bag versus <laughs> your state VTA, you're walking around with like your Dollar Tree shopping bag, these people. But I mean, like the real changes that are going to happen to directly affect you as a technician in your state are going to happen through your state BTAs, mm, um, right. not through your, your national organizations. So it's, it is such a struggle. I mean, it keeps me awake at night. Like how do we like 
get this message out, like this convincing message that, you know, here we are, here's why we formed. This is, this is all the potential that we have to make the changes that I know, like we all complain about, like I've worked with half of you people for 30 years. Like I know <laughs> what the complaints are, like let's get involved. And the other half of that is, you know, volunteer, like, please like volunteer for the state association. Cause you know, your, your board members can only do so much. It's, it's, that's another huge struggle. And I, and I know I've brought that up with a lot of state association leaders. Like, how do you get people to participate and, and volunteer? And right. they're like, I don't know. <laughs> when you <laughs> yeah. find out, yeah. like, call me. Like, oh right. Right. <laughs> is, is there a way, and, and you, you both might have an answer to this uh, and it may be, it may be no, but is there a way to tell like in your state, how many registered technicians there are versus how many you have uh, in your tech association? I mean, I could like contact the state board directly and say, Hey, how many credential vet techs do we yeah. have? And they may or may yeah. not give the answer. They changed their website. It used to be, they had like this whole, there's a spreadsheet that listed all the RVTs and like all the DVNs and, um, but they've changed the system now where you can like putting a name and search, but it doesn't tell you. It doesn't tell you everybody. How many, like yeah. the total numbers, but I don't, Yeah. that should be information that they should be able to give if we ask. Yeah. Jeff, do you guys have that in California? Or yeah, have you even we, looked that up? Uh, like it's, it's, it's published in the, like the veterinary medical board meetings in their agenda materials that they hand out. So it's usually published quarterly, how much or how many RVTs there are in the state. And yeah, it's, it's, I think we were right around between 6,500 and 7,000 mm -hmm. in California RVTs, wow. but you know, our, our membership is, is a struggle as well. And I, I would be very curious to, to talk to VTA leaders from basically all 50 states and just say like, you know, what percentage is, is your membership? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, that, that would be you know, if, stats if, to find if, yeah, un unless the VTA is the one issuing the license, like what happens in Massachusetts. So right there, VTA is going to have 100%. But they, but then also the state doesn't really recognize their right. credential at, at, at this point. You know, that's what everyone just on get now. on the same so page. It's like, <laughs> right. So it's it's like you know it's this trade off. Like and I mean MVTA, um, I was blown away with all the things that they were doing when I lived in Massachusetts and and what they were working on. But again. As, as, as Nikki was kind of alluding to, they had the membership and with the membership came the funds and with right. the funds came the work that they could do. And yeah. Yeah. And, so. you know, a lot of your, a lot of your tech associations, you know, if they are nonprofit, they're designated as 501c6 and pretty C6, much your yeah. income is limited to membership fees. Mm. You know, it's not like a charitable organization that can receive donations. You know, there's, there's trade-offs to that. You know, we come C6s because we have, we have the freedom and to have a stronger legislative presence and, and lobby for changes, et cetera. But, you know, we're not a institution or an organization that receives like donations for a cause or whatever. So the amount of members you have is really like your limiting factor for the amount of money you have and what you can do. So, mm, you know, right. you don't, you don't have a lot of people join and like your state VTAs don't have expensive, you know, membership fees. So they're already limited. And when you have just a few people, you know, it's, it's like this positive feedback loop, negative mm -hmm. feedback loop. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. you know, these, you know, techs probably like, well, what am I going to get out of it? And I'm like, well, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody 
joins. You know, there's only right. so much we can do. You know, we can't provide like enterprise like rental discounts to you. And you know, but there there's a lot of there are a lot of other like benefits and potentials that you get out of your state yeah. BTA versus you know a national organization. Yeah, and I think you're answering our next question of how important is membership for both the technician and the VTA. But you're you're kind of answering that now. It's it's kind of like you said. It's that that circular process where without the without the techs, the VTA can't really do anything. Without the the VTA, right. the techs aren't really getting you know like CE and, and and benefits and things like that. But how how important is that? Like from a standpoint of somebody that's on the board, it's really important. You know, in terms of uh, like you're like in terms of like from the association standpoint, it's like I said, it's important because we're nonprofit, you know, a five hundred one c six nonprofit. So our only like income is membership dues. You know, we may solicit and receive sponsorship for continuing education events, but that's earmarked just for those events. I, I can't buy stamps with that. But you know, the, the expenses. So we our website's operated through Wild Apricot, which is like this uh, membership management website i've seen like a couple other organizations move to that and it's great because you can do everything there but it's like it's going up to like fourteen hundred dollars a year for a membership wow and you have like a state vta that doesn't have a whole lot of income and they're you know just barely like in the black that's a lot of money and if yeah. your membership numbers aren't coming up and i you know we offer like advertising on our website and our social media pages for a fee like you know that's it's just barely scraping by so there's a lot of things like that that are dependent on your membership fees so that that's really important membership is really important and you know the vtas the larger the membership numbers you know the the greater representation like the vtas are going to have and the larger our voice to speak on behalf of the profession which is important because you know we're forming right. to represent technicians you know, and have a loud, unified voice and opinion. Um, but when you, you know, they may look at that and say, you only have 100 people, and, you know, you don't represent the profession. We don't care. Like, you mean nothing yeah. to us, you know. But then on the other hand, like the importance for techs, oh, my gosh. So, you know, there, there's, you have like your tangible benefits that directly affect technicians. So if it's things like discounts off the of services or products in the area, like newsletters, you'll see like regulatory and legislative changes, like discounts off the of CE, like local CE opportunities, because your VTAs all put on conferences or workshops. You know, some of the VTAs have more money. They offer like scholarships to tech school or grants, you know, for a winner to attend a national conference, things like that. But there's like indirect benefits that technicians can glean from joining their VTA. I know speaking on the behalf of, of us, like MDVTA, you know, my, my uh, long-term pet project is to really have heavy, like, involvement in engagement for, like, the general public. So whether through social media or public events, and before COVID hit, we were starting to you know, not just have a booth or a table at a vet conference, but, you know, the local shelters do fundraising. So we would get a booth or a table and, and be able to engage with pet owners who come with their pets. And, you know, COVID, I think we can't do that. But, you know, my, my goal is we're able to reach pet owners on a large scale. 
So technicians, right, are the educators of the clinic for pet owners. You know, they're the leaders in pet education. We go in the exam rooms. We teach this cat owner how to give insulin. We teach them dental health, all of that. So like you know, my long-term vision is, well, let's, let's take this beyond the doors of the clinic. Reach large scale groups that we can as an organization. And with doing that, the outcome, the projected outcome is that general public's gonna know what an RVT is, you know, how we become an RVT, the education and legal standards that back up our RVT licenses in the state. And then hopefully following that comes a greater trust from the public in RVTs, like akin to what's given the registered nurses, you know, public demand for RVD care for their pets and practices. Uh, you'll have more educated and astute pet owners seeking appropriate preventative, you know, medical care for their pets. So you have more business coming into the practices and, you know, hopefully what follows is what we really want appreciation, respect, high wages, great benefits from practice owners, because now they're like, oh crap, so-and-so is not bringing their dog here anymore because I don't have an RVT employed or this one really wants my RVT and they're offering to pay for more. So, you know, this is like that indirect, you know, not so like corporal thing that the technicians don't think about. That is, it's a huge potential. Uh, with your state VTAs. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier as well, kind of as you guys were forming, you know, there was some concern from the from the Maryland VMA uh, about, you know, potentially poaching their members, if you will, for, for vet techs. So RVTs in Maryland can join the state VMA, is that correct? Correct. Okay, yeah, it's, it's kind of the same thing in California as well, that the CVMA, California Veterinary Medical Association, also has like a technician arm, and, and CVMA has very, very strong following, like they're a very, very well-run organization, and sometimes I wonder if our two organizations could work together a little bit better, we could probably accomplish some more things, but there's also this weird competition because even though we feel like we're the state vet tech association, it's hard to get the message out to RVTs in California, what the difference between the two organizations are, you know, not necessarily why you want to join ours and not theirs, but when it, when you're a technician and it comes down to dollars and cents, you're probably going to pick one. And so, you know, I, I think in California, that's a bit of a struggle as well. Just the, this kind of weird competition between CVMA and, and CARVTA for, for members. And it, uh, it sounds like maybe you're, you're battling that to some degree as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's that kind of like comfort where, you know, the Maryland Veterinary Medical Association has been in existence for over a hundred years. So yeah. it, it's been around, it's like one of those, like, you know, MDVTA, they're new. Like, I don't know anything about you yet. I'll just stick mm -hmm. with MVMA and yep. yeah, yeah. It's, they don't really, technicians really don't get a whole lot out other than just saying they belong to the, you know, the VMA right. and they may get discounts off of whatever CD events they have. But, you know, the, the primary focus of the VMA is for veterinarians. It's not, you know, to benefit veterinary technicians. So that's the key difference. Yeah. And, you know, that's the struggle yeah. trying to get that message across to techs. Agreed. You know, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum of, of how we can get these these things kind of organized. Is there a way that state VTAs can work together to to kind of accomplish some of these goals? Is that is that something where we're, you know, I, I kind of think of the, the state associations kind of as an island to themselves, but is there a way that we can like 
bridge those those states together and, and kind of accomplish everything just by I don't want to say not go through NAFTA, but can we organize with each other to to make these things happen? Yeah, I think we definitely can. You know, we got to motivate ourselves and like take that leap and and just do it. Like, you yeah, know, you just yeah. got to do it. And and I'm somebody, you know, if I'm going to complain about something, I just want to. What can I do to like fix it or you know get rid of it? Like, <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> yeah. just complain about it and not do anything about it. So, I think a really good a good start has been the NAFTA district rep system. So that that's been really good. Mm. Um, I've enjoyed that. I think our group. So we are we're in District Two, which includes Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Jersey, and Delaware and, and DC. But I don't think there's a DC rep at all, you know, and we communicate regularly with our district rep and we've had meetings. We have a meeting next week. We like, you know, all the state reps are, are meeting next week. Last fall, we, you know, put together a CE event. And so that was hosted by all the district two straight state reps and, you know, the Virginia, Jersey and Maryland vet tech associations. So that, that, that that's an easy way to start facilitating that and trying to work on getting rid of that disjointedness problem that we have across the country. Mm. Um, I think, you know, VTAs like really supporting each other as VTAs, you know, keep keep members informed on like all the great things happening at the, with the other state associations. You know, if there's ways that, you know, VTAs can help another organization in whatever capacity, whether it's, you know, there's like these crazy legislative changes that the state wants to do and the other organizations can send letters as the organization to the state in support or opposition. It's a lot. It's a, it's, it's a lot of work to head up a state association and we're already sp spread really thin in, in all of our commitments and our overachievedness. But you know, have like VTA leaders really make the effort to stay engaged with each other regularly and discuss ideas or ask for advice. You know, we can do that through like Facebook groups and, and you know, con email each other's organizations, maybe just have happy hours, put more brains together because the more brains you put together, the more like ideas need to start facilitating actions. And even like it might not work for some of the big states, guys out west, but, you know, the East Coasters, we have it's easier for us to like bring like our neighboring like organizations and members together for events or like social gatherings and um yeah. you know and we are effective voices we're effective voices of our states um and when engaging with nafta so we keep them in the know of what's happening here and we can disseminate information from nafta to members and, you know, unfortunately, because we aren't all united in title and, and credential requirements and, and practice acts, we have to collectively work together um, and with NAFTA to recognize our limitations in our states and then have real constructive conversations um, with each other and take serious actions based on compromises to like move forward in a nationally unified direction. I know, you know, out, like you said, out here, out West, uh, I mean, I know that's one, one challenge we have, like California is just such a vast state in terms of land area. Um, you know, if, if we host a conference in, in Southern California, some of our members are 500 miles away, you know, it's, it's, it, it can't, still I mean, blows it, my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, arrange travel and, and do all of those things that you have to. So then, then that, then the onus is on us to figure out a way then to 
reach members in multiple different locations of the state. And then, yeah, it's, it's tough, but the, the same thing, like on a regional level, you know, we do border, you know, Oregon, Arizona, Nevada, uh, you know, there are some other states out here that probably all have the same challenges and sure, like you said, we might all have different titles, but um, there's gotta be a way that, you know, that we can work together on more of a, a ground level and figure some of this stuff out. And I, I think at some point while, while I would love for NAV to, to take the lead on this, but like you and I, the three of us are sitting here talking about the difficulties of state associations. It's the same thing for a national organization. It's a volunteer, you know, uh, position of professionals that, you know, now all of a sudden have to do this on a national scale for 50 states. Like I think at some, some level almost, it's on us to lay a little bit of the groundwork and take it back to them as well and say, Hey, this is what we're doing now. Like, how can you help us? Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, they can't, they can't do it all. Like, you know, the states have to, no. they do have to do some work, but yeah. you know, I, I think there are, are ways that, you know, NAFTA can play a role to help facilitate that and, and yeah. you know, at least guide the states or, or pave the way yeah. or provide resources for yeah. us. Yeah, and that kind of leads into to my next question is is that NAFTA state association dynamic? I mean, obviously they're they're to some degree getting feedback from all the different VTAs that exist, and you know, putting out their own material through you know district reps and things of that sort. But you know, I know they do the what is it the the NAFTA leadership summit? I want to say where they try and get you know some state reps to go to a, a type of conference or, you know, basically just a, a think tank or a brainstorming kind of gathering. But are there any other ways that that state VTAs and NAFTA can kind of come together? And I mean, obviously, again, this stuff's not going to be fixed overnight, but just continue to chart that path forward. I'd really love for like NAFTA to facilitate some sort of meeting, bring in appropriate presenters and resources that's entirely focused on teaching and guiding ETAs and, and tech leaders on mm. legislative and regulatory matters. Cause like, we don't mm. know we're techs. I right. don't right. know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how to do this, but you know, that's where NAFTA kind of has the, the reach and the resources and the name to find the right people that can put us all in a room and be like, you know, this is how a bill becomes a law. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, here's what, yeah. here's, here's the best way to approach this. Here's how you approach a state board and, you know, put together, you know, here's how Utah can do it. Here's how Maryland can do it here. Here's how, you know, Vermont can do it and really like give us the tools to take back and start doing this. Cause we're just, we're lost. Like I would love to right. make changes in the state of Maryland, but I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. So I would yeah. love to see that happen. And I mean, oh, I've been like saying this to like my fellow district, my state rep leaders. I'm like, I would love to have like a gigantic national like CE conference that is entirely for technicians, you know, not piggybacking off of AVMA or ACVIM or IVAX, but this is a massive, huge conference. It's all techs, like bring everybody together. Let's expose mm. everybody together. Let's have conversations. Let's let's all meet each other and 
you know, NAP does in the perfect position to kind of facilitate that with the states helping. You, you make a great point in there, Nikki, about, you know, us being techs and not knowing how some of this legislative stuff works. One of our, she's a former board member. She's our former treasurer, Nancy Ehrlich here in California. I, I think her California RVT license is like number six. I mean, she's... <laughs> You know, and I'm like number 8,109 or something. So like, but every board, every veterinary medical board meeting since the mid seventies, she's been to, she has more legislative contacts than you can shake a stick at. And every meeting she goes through, you know, all these bills that are before the state legislature that involve California, she knows exactly where everything is at and she knows the entire process. And uh, this is a foreign language to us. And there will come a day when, when you aren't here to break this down for us. And do any of us really have a grasp on what to do if, if Nancy no longer takes on this role? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't, I don't, and I, I like, and like you're saying, I, I also don't know a, how to gain that knowledge. B, I, I don't know if I have an interest in it where she very clearly does. Is, the, is there another technician in California that does? I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then like that's that, you know, having that, like being taught how to fish like that um, will allow the state associations to really start doing the things that's going to notice. And it's like, and if you build it, they will come type of things. So and then you're going to have yeah. texts in your state seeing, oh man, they're doing this. This is fantastic. Like, yes, like, all right, I'm going to join because here they're doing real action type of deal. So, you know, that's, it's really important you know, for us states to be able to do this. And we just don't know how. We don't know mm. how. You know, we've been talking about this and how, how do we get members to join and, and, all, and all that stuff. But is is there a way to kind of recruit technicians to join their vet tech associations aside from going on a, a, a podcast? <laughs> That's a million dollar question. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping today our conversation will reach many techs. Yeah, and yeah. Like vet tech students, um, you know, maybe you have an audience, like people in the audience who don't even know if their state has a VTA and I might prompt them to look and join and, yeah. and uh, hopefully maybe our conversation has, you know, changed the opinion of those who never joined their state VTA because right. they just didn't understand the purpose or the point or the potential change and positive effect it can make. I want to like reach out to students. Like how do we really get these tech students yeah. like gung ho to join and understand the important importance of joining professional organizations and, and that that's a challenge especially yeah. with your distance learning students because there's right. so many of them like how do we find them right. and reach right. them that yeah that's a that's a great point that was something we were trying to do you know basically cold calling the vet tech schools in california and saying hey we're the state rvt association can we come give a presentation to your students about just like you're saying, the importance of joining the VTA. Yeah, so sure, there's some benefits, but this is why it's actually important. And then also offering discounts. Like if annually, if we could enroll the school and the school, you know, if, if they paid for, you know, however many students they had at a discounted rate, but like 50, the school buys 50 memberships or 100 memberships. And then as soon as they graduate and, you know, pass their whatever, then, you know, they get basically one free year of membership. And then we just hope that they renew. But, but that, that was a big thing for me was getting into the vet tech schools because I feel, I still feel like vet tech students are little sponges. And if, if you can, you know, give them all this information about why it's important and what have you, when they're in that point, 
I think that's all the better. And I think that's a, a better way to recruit as to, you know, just trying to get people that have been in the profession for 15 or 20 years and, and have their minds made up. But I, th I think that the, your idea there with the schools is, is spot on. Yeah, definitely. Or, you know, if there are like faculty members listening, like let, let, let's incorporate that into the curriculum yeah. or like your class time, yeah. like, make that regular yeah. conversation to your students, like join like your yeah. professional organizations and, I mean, these mm -hmm. in Maryland, we have one AVMA accredited program uh, in the state. It's, it's a two year program. So, I mean, you have like a total enrollment of like, what, like 60, 70 students versus I found out from Dr. Harrell and Liza, like Penn Foster has, I think, currently over 2000 Maryland residents enrolled in its vet tech program. Wow. Okay, so there's 10 mm -hmm. AVMA accredited distance learning programs. How many other Maryland residents are well, enrolled maybe, in those? And maybe that's that's where you need right. to focus your efforts right. because if so, there, if there's like 60 yeah. at the at the brick and mortar schools and 2000 on the online schools, yeah. let's go yeah. there. And, I didn't realize it was I, that high. Yeah. So, like how do I find them and are these distance learning programs like instilling that in the students like join your organizations. I, yeah. I don't know how they bring up this conversation or what they do when it's, you know, it's not like the brick and mortar school within your state like you know will they pay I don't even know if they have to pay. I think our, our the program we have here, they were told that they had to purchase memberships for all their students to join the state BTA. And uh, so, but is that, you know, imposed on these distance learning programs? Are they, you know, doing that for all right. the adult students? And, and uh, yeah, and, and, you know, of course, that's going to be on a national scale, right? So same thing for NAVTA, like, yeah. can they figure out a way to get their voice in there as well? And that, I mean, that would, you know, like Dave was saying, you know, these online schools that have this national footprint, basically, of students, that'll be hugely beneficial. Exactly. Well, as we start to kind of wrap up here, we're approaching our, our time limit. I'm, and, and frankly, I'm amazed that we have gotten this far on Skype and have not had any, yeah. <laughs> any more technical challenges, which <laughs> I'm, is I'm which waiting is for it to like glitch out and say, I was you're done. I going to say, we'll, right. we'll see how the, edit, how, they, <laughs> how the downloading and editing goes for Dave. But is there anything in terms of, of VTA functionality and membership and importance and all of that 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 we haven't touched on today that you wanted to to bring up or, or get across to our listeners? You kind of alluded to it earlier. Like this, like all your organizational leaders, we're not miracle workers. We're pretty much all volunteers. Like there are very few, especially state VTAs that have a paid staff member. Like Colorado comes to mind, but who else? Like I don't know who else has paid. Most of us are volunteers. You know, we yeah. We work with you. We work full time. Like we raise families. We have other commitments. Um, have jobs. Right. <laughs> multiple jobs, like volunteer somewhere else. And, but, you know, we're dedicated. We want to make it better. And, and we really like, I really do appreciate all the support like we've gotten over the years, like from Maryland and especially like some of the vets that have like gone out of their way to reach out to us and just tell us like, you guys are doing a great job and I'm so glad to see this. And, and that means everything. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I bet. And Nikki, is there a person or a topic that you would like us to explore on an upcoming episode? Oh, I guess I'm kind of biased. It's okay. Interests <laughs> are like behavior and aquarium medicine. So anybody from behavior or aquarium, like okay. Well, we had uh, we had someone behavior, and we're actually in conversations with somebody with aquatics. So 
Yeah, that's coming up. That, that, yeah, I was going to say, stay tuned. We uh, we we're just starting to work on that uh, yeah, and have somebody on from aquatic medicine. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent, very cool. Well, um, Dave's going to ask you one more question. All right, I'm ready. All right, this is the Vet Tech Cafe Would You Rather question, and I'm going to give a shout out to Dr. Steph Frutiart, a friend of both Jeff and I, uh, who's from Baltimore, and I. I I reached out to her and I said, I got I got a, a Baltimorean coming on. What what can I ask her for a would you rather question? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So would you rather eat crab without Old Bay seasoning or eat a burger cookie with Old Bay seasoning? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to get real Baltimore on. Okay. So, <laughs> 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 most of your big crab houses don't use old bay really okay <laughs> they either blend their own or there's like other spice like local spice blends okay um, so okay and i looked up the burger cookies those look delicious oh yeah yeah they are just like I'm short familiar with those at all it's They're just like... shortbread covered in fudge oh my gosh Ooh. Oh, oh that sounds delicious i guess i would see i could go either way I mean, I'm kind of interested. I might go. Sp I might go sprinkle some Old Bay on a burger cookie and see how that is. Well, I, I was I was told by Steph that they put Old Bay on pretty much everything, and her quote to me was that if they did a PCV on her and spun it down, that Buffy coat would be Old Bay seasoning. I tell you what, I love it on French fries. I love to drown my fries in malt vinegar and then just, you know, smother them in Old Bay, and it's delicious. Yeah. Good. I, I guess I would go. I guess I would go with. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'll eat the crab without the old bay. Because <laughs> it tastes great. Right. <laughs> yeah, it would kind of ruin the the taste of the the sweetness. I think. I don't know, but I think tomorrow I'm gonna go get a burger cookie and sprinkle <laughs> it. See. see what happens. You have to love it. Send us love a picture it. of that and let us know what it, what it tastes like. Yeah, for I sure, know. for sure. <laughs> well, Nikki, thank you so much for your time uh, and for sticking out the technical difficulties with us. And because um, now we're well past 45 minutes, how how long we told you we would keep you? So I genuinely <laughs> totally appreciate the time. And uh, and all the thoughts, um, because for sure they resonate with me 100%, everything you talked about today with, with VTAs and, and the importance and the struggles. So, But it's always great to have other people say it and not just me rattle on. <laughs> so. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's It's been a great time, even through all the uh, technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, caffeinators, it was great to see you guys today. Uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. And uh, yeah, be well. Enjoy your summer. Hey, caffeinators, we would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.